Today's episode is very special because it's the first time we're recording the podcast in real life. I'm actually sitting in the same room as my guest. Don't worry, it's all safe. I'm in the, we're in the same household at the moment, so no rules being broken here. But I'm delighted to welcome to today's episode. He's the man behind the jingle of the podcast. He's a singer-songwriter. He's an audio engineer. It is one of my oldest and closest friends, the wonderful Elliot Mitchell. That's very sweet. Thanks for having me, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're such a sweetheart. <laughs> no, I, I sent you the, like, I was like, hey, like, go and write us like a wee jingle for this podcast. And then you came back with that fucking song and I was like, what? It was really good. I'm, I'm really happy with them. It was rapid fire. It was like five minutes of just like, right, let's get a few chord patterns. Let's write that down. Get a bit of drums in there. And I was working through it. The hardest part was making the lyrics because I'm not very good at the language no, of English, good. to be I honest mean, with you. I think we literally did, you did like one take of that and it was, you know, ready to go. So mm-hmm. anyway, no, you, um, how are you finding editing our, my podcast for me? Has it been good? Pain in the arse to be at, quite yeah. frankly with you. It was do, you some... tell, do you want to tell the listeners all the stuff you have to do off on a regular basis? Episode one was all right. That was quite good. That was pre-recorded, obviously. So basically, you you contacted live on Zoom or Skype or whatever, and that was fine. Um, episode two was a bit of a pain in the ass because you kept going, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, no, so uh-huh, obviously yeah. the podcast we put out for you guys, we try and make it sound as like high quality as we can. But honestly, this boy here, it, he does he does wonder so. Thanks, I had to keep deleting out your <laughs> ums and yes and all that. And you did like well, 20 billion of them and it was driving me insane, but I managed to do it. Hopefully but. this live episode will be a bit um, easier for you. But anyway, so obviously like, we'd known each other for, mate, what, 18 years like, since nursery? We'd... I think longer than that, yeah, yeah. I think about m- nearly 20 years, I so think. So I'm really excited to sort of talk to you about, you know, because we grew up together, so I'll, I'll share a lot of your memories and stuff. But anyway... Um, as always, I thought we'd start the podcast today. I want you to talk about your earliest creative memories. Well, I didn't start... Well, it all stemmed from music, really. That's when I kind of stemmed into the creative arts. It really started when... It's a strange story. My uncle bought me a nylon string guitar mm-hmm. when I was younger. And um, I had fun with it. I didn't really show any musical ability to begin with when I was younger. But then uh, I broke the three top strings of the guitar and uh, then I played, I started making melodies and tunes out of those three strings. So I, my musical capabilities and just general creativity came from a three string guitar. <laughs> and then and then obviously I got introduced at school to playing classical music, like classically trained, reading yeah. music, played the trumpet for... How, you were really young then though, you were like what, eight? I would see yeah, that this happened in primary school. So I was playing the trumpet, and um, I was playing in like school orchestras. I was playing in wind bands. Um, 
you know, I would I would usually compete in the Five Festival of Music, which is hosted in Adam Smith Theatre in Kirkcaldy. Um, I got to grade seven trumpet, which is impressive. Yeah. Um, and then that that kind of made my made me appreciate more about music, especially the classical side of things and like yeah. composition. And then on top of that, I played obviously I played guitar. I learned how to play the bass guitar. I played drums. I played loads of instruments. But you're really. you're you're just like one of those people, and I hate you for it because I'm so jealous because I can't play a thing. I mean, well, show off, basically. You know, yeah, sure. Yeah. But you know, you could just. I just since we were growing up as kids, like you always could just play everything, and you just were so musical. You'd pick up, you'd hear a song, right? Two minutes later, you just hear Elliot on a guitar. He'd, he'd pick the song up, and you know it was, it was it just takes, amazing. To it see. takes years of training. I'm not gonna lie. I think um, as well. Uh, I have to give credit to my old high school and mm. the head of the music department. I don't know if he's like, but Mr. Coverson, you're a legend. He would let me, I, I would like, for example, this is funny. When I was in sixth year, I could just go into a music room mm. and just pick up an instrument and play. There'll be a class like first years or second years learning about music. And then Mr. Coverson would just look at it behind and just like, I'll just ignore him. He's just practicing. I could literally <laughs> go into like even the drum yeah. room and just fanny about. And nobody, like, none of the music staff will bother me because they know I'm just like, oh, I'm just playing music or but whatever. Of, but as well, like, going further back to, like, you know, when you were a kid and stuff, like, you come from quite a, you know, music was a big part of your household because your big brother, Jack, played guitar as well. And you guys used to, you were like Oasis, you used to always joke. You were like uh, Liam and No, you were obviously... I was No, because I yeah. was the smart one. I was the musical one, <laughs> musical capable one. Jack had the attitude, the swagger, so he was definitely Liam. Because you but... guys used to like play a lot of guitar growing up. And obviously your mum loves her music. And, you know, so I feel like you, music was always just a big part of your household, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, well, we, I got grown up to, I think everybody could testify like their mother's or father's favourite band or musician that they always listened to yeah. them growing up. Mine's was Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. My mum is a massive David Gilmour fan. Yeah. So we growing up listening to that. Obviously, it. with my influence from my brother, I listened to a lot of Oasis growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the biggest bands that I love to date ever. So it's just a combination of, you know, a lot of influences from your family um, sometimes I listen to strangely a little bit UB40 from Uncle because <laughs> he's from Coventry so they're like from down in Warwickshire yeah. and um, yeah I, he, I've got his vinyl record and I listen to it sometimes so it's it's just a lot of influences that come from your family that help to shape oh, def- who you are definitely but Elliot it's, what, like, obviously I already know the answers to these but who was like the big musical influence on you like your personal one that you discovered growing up <sighs> I can't really tie it down to just one personality I think I, I thought it was Amy Winehouse you were going to say. I was going to say. Okay. That this there's a couple here. So Amy Winehouse is obviously a big one. Um I I just adore her, you know, her music, the way she's even the way she just vocalizes herself, mm. the songwriting. I know that a lot of Mark Rosson had to deal with that as well, obviously with the album Back to Black. Once you get that vinyl and you put that on that record player, it's yeah. amazing. Um, and I really miss her to this day because obviously I she know, passed away. I know, I remember it was 2011. I think what we were, how old were we then? Oh my God, doing maths now. Uh, 16 or 17. 16, quite, yeah, yeah. We were quite a formative age of our teenage years. And I remember you came into, I think it was maybe, I think it was the summer holidays and we met up and you said you were really upset. And I said, what's happened? We hadn't seen the news. And you were like, Amy Winehouse passed away. And you were so upset about it. I, I was just devastated. I remember that yeah. night, um, me and our other friends, because that was the great thing about our upbringing. Me and 
all of the boys, we would just sit in your living room and we'd all just jam. I mean, I could never play anything, so I'd just sit in the corner left <laughs> out, do a bit of singing. But you could, we'd always just have a jam so often, and it was it was amazing. And I'm getting tangent here. But yeah, I remember we came back to your house and you just like played a cover. I think it was a Love is a Losing Game you sang. Yeah, it's it was, that's a really good song. I also like, yeah. for, as well, from an album, Just Friends. That's a really good one mm. from that album. Um, I just remember the way you sang it that particular day, though, because you were so emotional doing it. it, it it's was, also I'll not just Amy Winehouse as well, but it, I, I think I can testify to a lot of people, especially in our generation who watch Jules Holland. Oh, you yeah. pick up a lot of good musicians that are on that program. Oh, we all did that, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, one, one musician, for example, that kind of inspired me as well, that came from that program was Melody Gardot. Yes. Her album, My One and Only Thrill. I remember she did a performance. It was just a soul performance with her playing the guitar. And I think it was Baby I'm a Fool. And then I said to my mum, like, for my birthday, can you just get me that vinyl record? I want that. <laughs> I want to hear it, the whole album. Yeah. And I did. And it's it, she's she's really, she's completely different. She's in her own ball game. I think you can say the same for Amy. Um, also, I'm pretty much a bit of an indie kid as well. So I listened to a lot of Block Party, you know, Oasis, Arctic Monkeys yeah. growing up. And, and it's just a lot of those influences we'll, that tie we'll together. talk about our teenage years because we obviously were in the bands together we used to sing together and do all this amazing mm-hmm. stuff which I can't wait to, to reminisce on yeah, kind uh, of embarrassing now but I just before we go into that I, I, I know I really appreciate you saying agreeing to talk about it but yeah. I thought it'd be really nice if we could talk a bit about your Asperger's no right so when I was younger um, obviously uh, I had some form of disability but I was still to be diagnosed and at two years old I was diagnosed by the doctor saying I had uh, you know autism Mm -hmm. um so when I was going throughout you know primary school I needed to get a bit more support and that um it's so autism really is kind of like a and I would like to put as like a cognitive disability and more of an emotional disability Mm -hmm. you know for example um it's harder like not for me in particular because I have a high function type of autism but I'll get to that later point it's a it's an absence of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and also communication wise is a bit more difficult however when I was getting older and I was about to eventually get into high school I was diagnosed further as having Asperger's syndrome which is a high functioning type of autism Mm. so in that definition it just means that obviously there's emotional vulnerability so for example if I get pissed off I get pissed and he, and he gets pissed off at me a and lot. I, yes <laughs> yes and it takes me longer to calm down from that situation because i kind of overthink of it in my head yeah. whilst normal people be like oh take maybe take like a couple of minutes or whatever and then they can get on with their lives it takes me longer because it's still replanning through my head and also miscommunication as well occasionally I might misinterpret information but however that doesn't affect me in any ways of talking to people expressing emotions understanding people it's obviously I just do it a different way, you know. It's yeah. like thinking in a different path. But overall, it's not affecting me whatsoever and I'm not embarrassed to talk about and, it whatsoever. And also, the thing I remember when you were... Because obviously I've known your family for so long and, and you were told at one point that you might never go on to do anything, weren't you? Because it was that bad. Doctors told me that um, you would have no form of independence you would have to be relied on by other people well didn't i fucking prove them wrong i know and didn't and i prove that, them that wrong makes and, like, and it, yeah. it just makes your achievements even more like amazing and i mean obviously without getting all like uh, soppy but you know we're you know i'm so like i'm very proud of you as a friend and like i honestly like i, I love I like how artistic you are and 
and you know I'm like your number one fan all that nonsense but you know but I love the way that you sort of channeled your creativity and that was a big part in you and helping with your Asperger's growing up wasn't it like music was like almost like a healer to you wasn't well it? music was a form of language really when yeah. I when I couldn't express it clearly or you know a way for other people to understand I was able to do that through music yeah um I'm not much of a lyricist but through my music, which we'll talk piece, about later. Yeah, as well. <laughs> don't talk. I know you're going to raise my lyrics at one point, but yeah, that's fine. In terms of like compositions and just like writing general songs and that, I'm able to express more of my emotions through that medium. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people who have my form of disability as well, they tend to be either very good at the creative arts because they're able to express the emotions in form of, let's say, for example, dance or art yeah. or drama or music, like in my circumstance. So, yeah. Which is, and that's why I'm so passionate about, um, you know, protecting the arts. And I think the arts are so integral to like education. And we should put so much more um, importance on them in things like high school and, and early years learning because people like you and and people who don't have disabilities, just everyone, like they, they help growing up so much to, you know, build confidence. And as you say, communication was you know, so important from it. So yeah, just, I just, would, I'm really happy that you, you know, are talking about this on this podcast and we can share this with uh, people who might have, have the same experience. No, it's important, I, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, back to our growing up and sort of earlier. So in our teenage years, our, us and our friends, we were all very, we all were very creative as a group and we, we were in a band, weren't we? Yeah. Well, so, um, I, uh, yeah, I had a lot of music ventures, I'd say. So I went to the YMCA in Glen Office. Which was a hub for us, wasn't it? It was... An amazing place. Yeah, it was a place where, you know, like-minded musicians can come together and, you know, just have a place for a couple of hours to relax and create songs and hang out together. So I obviously did my own venture. Then I was in a band called... Uh, uh, so it was first called the the Liberty Books, <laughs> which hence, is such a rip off of the Liberty. Yes, isn't it? hence why you think we did that. Yeah, but that that's what happens when you're in these small <laughs> and bands. And what was your a... first song that you covered as well? It was it was Don't Look Back into the Sun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. <laughs> um, so we played a couple of gigs, and um, yeah, that was fun. And then I was in a band called Vendettas, as which well. was our band. Which oh my god, we're we'll, we'll actually we're going to use this song as the interlude. This band was, it was ridiculous. It was too many people in it. I, I can't play an instrument, so they kindly let me sing. And we had another singer who also couldn't play an instrument. We had, like, guitarists. Elliot Blumen played the trumpet for us, which was amazing, yeah. and produced all the music. But, yeah, that didn't really go... I think we played one gig, didn't we? We played a Red Nose fundraiser at the YMCA. That was fun. And yeah. It was fun, but that was our sort of moment, and that was it. But also, it was the first time that... For example, when I started to get all my audio equipment, it was the first time that I truly got a lot of musicians in to record and it was a so piece funny. and all that. Like we'd, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was like, you know, I had the amplifier there. I was able to, like, yeah. I, I used all my equipment. And I had, like, at one point, I had, like, 10 people in my small bedroom <laughs> trying to record something. So that was, that was great. It's amazing as well because we're actually in the same room, you know, 
seven years later or whatever that we rec- and we're recording this podcast which is amazing because we you know this is where we first recorded our songs i remember like my mum was like um oh so you want to make this into a wee studio so she put up a screen in the corner of the room so i can have a vocal booth and i remember she stapled like uh, <laughs> i think it was like uh, acoustic foam so it could kind of make it look like a studio and dampen it when it really didn't make a difference at all it was still like a small bedroom but it was fun. It was really oh, fun. Th- those were such uh, great days, and I was, you know. But anyway, so the band obviously it didn't really work out for whatever reason, and you did all this amazing solo stuff yourself. And mm-hmm. I'm we're looking. I can see it in the corner of the room right now. I'm looking at Elliot's trophy. So yeah, I want to talk about yeah, a, a really proud moment when we were. I think you were 17 at the time, and I remember watching this live, and I, we were so when you won, like we just celebrated. But you won the. Fife Young Musician of the Year, didn't you? No, it was no, it was the Glen. That trophy is the Glen Rothes Rotary Club, right? So it's the young, mus- the young Glen Rothes Musician of the Year, and it was so there was obviously the musician part. Um, so there was two trophies. It was the vocalist. Mm-hmm. So I've got the vocalist one, and I was going against this girl who had an amazing voice, and so I did a cover of my one of my well, I did one of my own songs, and then I did a cover of. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but my teachers really want me to do a musical piece, so I decided to do Mr. Cellophane. Which you did such a good job of, and you it acted was fun. it as well. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I'm not, I, I, honest to God, I'm not a musical fan, but I don't mind the music side of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the flying boying scene, how dramatic it is, is good. good. I mean, actually, as a teenager, so you actually, you, I know you didn't stick to it, but you also did quite a bit of acting because we did drama and you were actually quite good at that as well. I was good at drama. I remember my first bit of drama I did was at primary school and it was obviously the Christmas drama and all that. That was yeah. fun. And then I decided to pursue drama because obviously you... Damien <laughs> and me were in the same class where we were having fun. Um, yeah, I could have pursued that higher, but I was more geared towards music, music for me because that was that was my forty. I could I could have done acting, but I was yeah. mainly geared towards music really. And you did all this solo stuff, and you're obviously you'd already talked about the orchestras. But we um, we went through this sort of phase. I think we were about eighteen, and me and Elliot were a sort of double act for a bit, weren't we? We used to play together. I mean, yeah. I feel bad taking because I literally would turn up and sing the song. Elliot did all the writing of the music. Elliot recorded it all. You know, he was the the real. You did fuck all but I, sing. I did fuck all but <laughs> sing, yeah. And I was felt always feel, and I still to this day feel so talentless around Elliot. But um, yeah, no, but we, we played the talent show together, didn't we? We did the talent show, so we did. Um, so one of my favorite covers um, that we did that got actually got the most views on my on my SoundCloud, which yeah. I'm, you'll probably link on the podcast. Yeah. Is um, "Don't Forget Who You Are" by um, Miles Kane. Miles Kane. My time is now. My time is now. Although we're tongue tied and breathless, we won't let our worries dictate who we are. Roll out the old times, we won't let our worries dictate who we are. La la la. Fun. That was a really good piece that we did, didn't and, and we came second. We were robbed. We should have won it. Obviously, we should. We, no, we should have fucking won that. I don't know what they were playing at, man. <laughs> we, so we. That was our the first ever bit of money. I and I think one of the only times I've earned money from my uh, artistic endeavors was me and Elliot got ten pounds each from that time. <laughs> that was sick. Yeah, that was sick. Um, <laughs> Which we probably used to 
to buy some cans for a house party or something like that. We, yeah, you know, but that's what you do when you're young. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like you just buy a bag of cans and just have fun. So yeah. Anyway, that was sort of the early years of our music together. Um, but you, so yeah, you get to the end of high school and you decided to go and apply to do audio engineering, didn't you? Because you, you were really interested in the technical side of music, weren't you? So I was good at music and also one of my best subjects at school was mathematics. Mm-hmm. So I was really good at maths, um, did advanced higher music and I think I got like 97% overall. So that's like the highest show off. See, I, I told you guys, he's a show yeah. off. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be proud of your achievements. Like, <laughs> um, So then I decided uh, I wanted to pursue both of them together. So it wasn't a case of just doing like, oh, let's just do sound production at college. Because really I'm kind of like, I kind of want to do more things that are kind of not just specifically to the sound production paradigm. Kind of do more about, oh, let's focus on how microphones are made or you know doing live sound or you know sending audio over through broadcast systems and that so i i applied to i went to glasgow caledon university and i did a degree in um at the time it was called audio technology with electronics but then it changed halfway through to audio systems engineering which i think it kind of reflects better and so i graduated with two one at that time, I was in another band yeah. um, called um, Kunsel, wasn't Kunsel. it? <laughs> and I know what people are thinking. It's not what you think it is. It, it's Kunsel as in C-O-U-N-S-E-L, which is basically for like counselling, for like to meet, you know, people's And you were the drummer in whatever, band, yeah. you? I was a drummer. Yeah, and you were wasted on the drums. And I'll be polite, I won't <laughs> say anything else, but he was, the mo- he was the best singer in that band and you couldn't hear him over the drums. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, we had... Um, uh, a vocalist he was amazing he was good he was more of instead of the vocals himself he was more of the persona to come on stage and be like oh but winding back a sec mm-hmm. um how did you find uh, glasgow your undergrad at glasgow because you moved to the city and you love glasgow you fell in love with the city when you moved there didn't i you? fell in love with the city for two reasons one there's a really good music scene that's creeping up in glasgow no disrespect to edinburgh i, I go to edinburgh to see you all the time I just don't blend in, really. I, we actually, I actually spoke to Delilah, who's, that episode will be coming out at some point in a few weeks, and we spoke about the difference in Glasgow and Edinburgh as well. So, I mean, I totally agree about... I Yeah, I, I mean, Edinburgh's lovely. I think it's great for its nature and its history, and if you're into literature, go for it. But I don't really blend in because, I mean, I lived in Glasgow for four years, and it's more for me, it's more about an emotional connection with the people that stay yeah. there. And the music scene and the art scene there is fantastic as well. So that's why I, I fell in love with this city. And I, I, to be honest with you, I can't wait to go back. But you really enjoyed your undergrad, didn't you? Mm-hmm. You've, you've yeah. learned a lot of... I mean, look at all the stuff you're doing for... Our to class. be honest with you, the whole class was just full of boys. There was no girls in our class. So it was just a couple of young lads, really. Just loads of fun and shit. And the, the course was really good. Like, the we, we all, we all kind of worked together. We all just clicked. And, um, yeah, I really had fun. And... Um, it's kind of just moving on from that now, really. That's more important. Yeah, because so you graduated in twenty eighteen from this, and you and without again going into you know too much detail, you were you were a bit lost, weren't you, at that point when you you, you were in a quite a dark place. Well, it wasn't necessarily a dark place. I was just kind of like not unmotivated, a bit down because of all the stress of uni, and there was a lot of stuff happening as well with my family. Um, so that kind of culminated together, and yeah. really it just kind of made me feel emotionally drained. And also physically, I was like really 
un, like unhealthy as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and then you sort of went on this amazing journey, which I knew we couldn't do this podcast without bringing it up at least for a couple of minutes. But you I lost, tried to keep it a bit discreet. But, but you like, lost. Yeah. Tell, well, you can tell this story. Well, so for example, well, we'll start from the beginning. It was basically. I was twenty one pushing for twenty one stone because in fact I was like twenty three, and then uh, I was pulled I was pulled to one side by my cousin, who um, said to me straight he was I think it was at Christmas Eve or Christmas Day that night we we're having a couple of drinks obviously with family, and he pushed me to one side and said I mean I'm really getting concerned for you, and I was like wow really and he actually started like tearing up and actually started getting emotional and that's when it really hit when one of my family members looked me dead in the eye and said i don't like i'm you're not looking yeah. good and you're and, not and doing that well was also combined with this this really sad moment where i remember we were at a christmas party it was my girlfriend at the time mm-hmm. and you sat on their couch and the couch broke it broke and it was this horrible room because it was funny and i'm, I'm sorry for saying that and people, and people everyone would laughed say, yeah but I, I laughed and i also felt like and I looked at you and I knew that you you did laugh it off at the time, but I, you know you knew that you had to make a change in your life. And just to clarify, this is we're not shaming anyone who is overweight or who looks a certain way. This is just a purely you weren't healthy in your mind or your body and you had to change it, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, fuck that couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because what happened after that was I started to... So I basically started in November, really. My mother and my sister were on Slimming World, which is obviously like, I wouldn't call it a diet, but it's a healthy lifestyle plan. Um, a lot of people would have heard it before. Um, and so my mum used to cook me dinners, obviously, because I was still staying there. I was, you know, and I wouldn't even realise it was actually on plan. So it was mm-hmm. made like the Slimming World, right? So, and then I decided, you know what, I'm not... <sighs> It's cheesy to believe in New Year's resolutions, but I thought, do you know what? If it's for the if, if it's for the benefit of me personally, that's actually going to change my life. I thought, right, fuck it, we'll do it. And my my New Year's resolution was to lose all this weight and be a new person and be healthier. So then I decided on the 9th of January that year to walk through those doors for the first time, and I was fucking mortified. I was really mortified at this point because I was like, I really wanted to turn back and run away, but I said no. I said to myself, I was kind of like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does, maybe we're onto something here, but mm. you won't know until you just do it. So I did it, and um, I stepped on the scales to do my starting weight, and it said that I lost two stone already, and I was like, no, hold on a fucking minute. I just said I was like pushing for 21 stone, and now you tell me that I'm 18 stone odd. Sharp. And no you, way. And you went on to lose. I went on to lose that. Oh, in total, I want to say eight stone, two pounds. And you look like a different person. Well, I feel like a new person. But that helped person. with your confidence and, and that actually combines into your art because you'd stopped sort of recording music for a few years, didn't you, at that point? I kind of put a lot of things on hold at that point to just focus on my health. That was important for me because... If you don't get a chance to do something that can change your life and just focus all... I'm, I tend to be a person that just focuses energy on one thing rather than doing multitude of things because if you do that, you kind of break down. You're not going to get anything done back to square one. So I said, no, this whole year is dedicated to my weight loss and kind of getting healthy again. So I did that and I pushed forward and just kind of focused my energy on that and i done yeah. that. And unfortunately, as a consequence of that, there was a lot of things of you know, focusing on my career, like going forward with my career, also my music stuff, that had to be on put on hold. But I don't regret that of because course. it was for the and benefit for me. I think this is me. a really important thing because I, as someone who wants to work in the creative industries and, and a multiple of avenues, because I'm still trying to figure that out, 
But I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I see if I I'm as I said this on another episode, but I haven't actually done any writing for two months because I'm kind of I did it all summer for my MA, and you know with all the restrictions, I'm feeling you know a lot of pressure, and I every day I wake up and I think you need to write something today, but then if I don't you know feel like doing it, um, then I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I think sometimes in this, especially in the arts, um, you have to sort of learn that sometimes you need to take a break for other things, you know, put your mental health first. Or put your own physical health first, or just focus on other stuff. I think sometimes you're allowed to just not be creative for a few weeks, and that's totally okay. Isn't well, it? if you take a break, you know what I mean. Like it's good because you know you're only going to be your best person, your best performer if you're in your best form. And if you're not in your yeah. best form, you can't you, perform. Exactly, you don't have to always be doing it. You can have time to learn. You can have time to just enjoy your life. You know, that's... and you discover more about yourself as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. So of course. So anyway, you lost uh, nearly nine stone, which is incredible. Well, it? yeah, eight stone. Yeah, aye. So it was good, but um, N- the nine sounds better. So just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, for sharp a digit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Um, but so you're sort of living at home, and and I think without any disrespect, you're probably a little. You're feeling a bit bored at this time, and you're a bit unsure what you're want to do now aren't you well yeah to be honest with you i'm trying to move ahead and Mm. obviously this year because i made my new year's resolution as we talked about was about to get on with my career move and be independent that and kind of fucked up a wee bit didn't it because of covid because of covid but despite that so that we're about to talk about this sort of new venture and this sort of new area of creativity you moved into you'd started this year to sort of move towards working in film and doing, or not just film, but doing sound yeah, for sort of broadcast, TV, film, that sort of thing. So you in, I think it was March, just just before... It was, it was actually you that introduced it to me. Yeah, you, you said it was to just me. before um, the sort of lockdown stuff happened, you came up to Edinburgh and you helped do sound on a short film for us, like a wee short film project. And, and yeah. you enjoyed it, didn't you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it because, well... It was the first time I was ever on a film set, so it was the first time seeing this big ass camera, and like so, um, Susie, who works at Screen Academy Scotland, contacted me and said, "Oh, do you want like Jamie's put forward your name? Said you want like potential work in sound for film?" I said, "Yeah." And said, "Right, well, come meet me on so and so at this time." I said, "Right, that's fine." So we sat down, we had a talk, and we went through all the equipment. Um, so Susie came up to me and said that if there's a lack of sound professionals in the industry. If you can get a chance to get your foot in the door and, you know, work for like for sound for film, either as a sound recorder, as a sound mixer, maybe work as sound design, um, you'll be set up for life because there's people that, that... There's a lot of film production companies that are requiring sound professionals. So I said, wow, I want to give it a try. So I looked at the equipment and I, I like had an overview. and said, oh, that looks cool, stuff like that. And doing different stuff and this is how you you know you write down even just basic stuff like a sound report Mm. you know to show to the sound designer what you know what to do with the audio so then uh, i worked on a a short film called overturned which was based in the actual studios and screen academy and i worked as a sound mixer so it was really just kind of blending in each sound together and you know making it sound getting good crisp audio as well and i enjoyed it it was so much fun and even the i think it was the assistant director liv which you've had on the podcast she came up to me and said you were so professional and i realized that you you're because you were working there as well you uh, were you the runner you were a runner and then um Liv was like, you were so professional on set. And I realised that's so difficult when you have your best friend on set. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care about him. I'm getting on my shit. Do you know what I mean? I'm doing my own <laughs> stuff. Like, fuck him. Like, but it was so much fun. And 
it's kind of something now, even if I don't do sound recordist or a sound mix or whatever, it's working for sound for film is something that I want to yeah. work towards. And, yeah. and of course, sadly at that point, because we, we you had sort of hopes on coming back to do more stuff, but then lockdown happened, so... That was terrible. Everything shuts down. Yeah, that was bit. shit. Um, <laughs> and, you know... Mm-hmm. That sadly gets put on hold, but then obviously there's this amazing opportunity where the some of the film students from the screen academy they get to get make their films because they get yeah. the equipment, and you end up getting to work on two of them. So that was I mean fun. we'd spoke about this short film already on the podcast, but you got to do the music for dancing with someone else, didn't you? Talk that was so. That. Um, Kyle, I, I love Kyle. Hopefully you can get him on the podcast. He's great. Um, basically, he said to me, right? Oh, I've got this musical like musical that I want to do and I'm like oh that's cool it's like could you could you um I'll get you in touch with this composer Richard and I'm like Richard Blackhead he's amazing he, d- he does wonderful compositions I think he'll go very far in the future um he said to me oh let's let's do a zoom call let's chat together and I was like okay what's going on here what does he lead me to do and then I chatted away and all of a sudden I'm just being I've been chosen to create the music for the musical and I'm like okay right let's do I've never done it before and I was like oh if it's a challenge and I'm willing to accept it, I'll do it. And it was so it was it was quite stressful, considering relating back to COVID and during the lockdown and all that. It's so stressful when you don't have the composer and the director in the same room as you, mm-hmm. and you're having to keep sending audio files, and you're having to keep getting approvals and feedback and changes, and then doing it over again and again and again. And it took long, despite the fact that people would say. Oh well, it's only like two minutes of music or whatever for each composite. Yeah, but the the you know the instruments and even the general fluidity and you know chord progression of each piece was complex and you know I had to accompany the singers as well, so that was fun. You had to record the the, the songs for this film. We had to use the cupboard at home, which I in my back of my flat in Edinburgh I used the cupboard there to actually sometimes record this podcast. And you, that was the first time we used it. So you had you had these actors, and it was all COVID safe. It was crazy, wasn't it? I will I will say it was an absolute pain in the ass dragging all my equipment on this big ass bag to go on a bus from because <laughs> I'm based in Fife to go all the way to Edinburgh to then get an Uber to then go down to your place to then set up the equipment. It, uh, but we did it. We did it, and it sounds great. Ah, it was, I'm excited for people yeah. to hear the film because mm-hmm. yeah you had to get all the actors one by one in the cupboard and you had to wear a mask and stuff and get all this cool that was annoying but um it was so much fun it was so much fun getting it to record it was the, it was the first time that i recorded other people rather than you for vocals <laughs> so that was fun um enabling to kind of get them on board and kind of get them to listen to the music and get their vocals mm-hmm. and that and then it went down to master and mixing and all of a sudden it then appeared in the film which yeah. was amazing and then the, so the following week so you were a very busy man in uh, October this year weren't you but the following week you get this uh, another great opportunity where you get asked to do Liv's film which we don't again has been talked about a lot on this podcast but Ken mm-hmm. you actually got sort of given the reins to be the sound guy on that film didn't you and you were actually quite nervous about that I was nervous because well um so I wasn't nervous in a way because I'm familiar of what is required for me in order to record the audio, mix it. But it was more it was more overwhelming because obviously COVID, there was a lack, there was a cut down on people on set. We all had to social distance, we all had to face masks, we all had to sanitize equipment. And it was the first time me using radio mics. So I was like, <laughs> the night before, I was looking for YouTube like, shit, shit. 
how do you, how do you put radio mic on the person? How do you do it properly? How do you microporous tape? I've never used that in my life. <laughs> um, but um, actually, a big shout out to Alison, um, who was sound record this on Dancing with Someone Else. She gave me a lot of tips and a lot of advice, mm. and I thank her for that from the bottom of my heart because she's amazing. But yeah, it, for example, it was the first time they ever used four radio mics simultaneously, and then having to get me to hold the boom, which I've never done before. God, it's fucking heavy, really heavy, really, really heavy. So yeah. I was like, I said to Liv, because Liv was the director of the film, I said, Liv, honestly, I can't hold that boom whilst I'm recording the audio. The, so The thing as well is that um, sound actually, a lot of people forget how important sound is. You know, I could say it this way. I, I love to say the saying, you know, for example, sound, you know, without sound and you just have picture, well, you have a silent film. But if you have sound but without picture, it's basically just a radio drama on BBC Radio 4. So really, you know, they're both just as important as each other, do you know what I mean? You could, yeah. If you don't want sound, you can have a silent film. You have to have the sound to reinforce your senses. And obviously, I'm passionate about it, so... Yeah, the, yeah. honestly, I, I, just to say again, this man here... Like I'll I'll record a podcast on over remotely over Zoom or something, mm-hmm. and I'll send it to Ellie, and I'll think this sounds quite good to me. No sound issues here. And I'll get a phone call from Ellie and he'll be like, at 32 minutes, 32 seconds exactly, there is a noise in the background. There is a buzzing noise in the background. And I'm like, Ellie, I don't know what you're talking But, I mean, you just have this magic ear, don't you? Because of me just generally having good ears, I'm able to pick up on things that not necessarily most people will pick up on. And I am, as you've said, I am really, really picky with sound. And I think that's not a bad thing. Um, I... Like go back to what like Lev back in um, the Ken short film when she was director, she said that oh I love how you you're so passionate about audio and how you really are, you know you're really picky and really passionate about your craft and I said yeah it's true because I don't want I don't want it to sound horrible do you know <laughs> what I mean I don't care what the visuals are I don't care how it looks because I trust that Delilah and Leo and all these cinematographers and people that work the camera and lighting as well and props that's going to look great. It's just, how's it going to sound? <laughs> That's your area. How's it going to sound? Yeah. Just get a real Well, Ellie, I ask everyone, and I, you'd heard me say this so many times when you edit, but I yeah. ask everyone that comes on the podcast, mm-hmm. what's the worst part-time job they'd ever had or a job they'd had to work to support your art? So I'm going to ask you now, what's the worst part-time job you'd ever had? So when I was um, living in a flat in Glasgow, uh, in my third year, going into fourth year, obviously you don't get your student payments, so you need to get a job to pay the flat and all that and daily expenses. So I was like, oh shit, I need to get a part, I need to get some form of income to kind of just stay in Glasgow till I go back to uni. So I looked around and around and around, and um, basically I found a job as a housekeeper in uh, a hotel in Glasgow <laughs> City Centre. Uh, I'm not going to name them because they're not worthy of naming them and I don't. they don't deserve my respect, quite frankly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I worked as a housekeeper. So, firstly, I got trained up and all that and I was told, oh, you need to do the hospital corners for the mattress and make sure everything's clean, polished, the bathroom's you know, brand spanking clean and all that. And then I was a bit rusty and all that. And <laughs> basically, they said to me, the requirements for it is that you must clean a room no matter how filthy it is, in under six minutes. That's insane. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I, when I um, worked in housekeeping, 
um, we got like half an hour to clean a room and even that was pushing it for like one of the doubles. So at six minutes is insane. Yeah, you could even be working in like a... So we had smoking rooms as well. So like people would be using the ashtrays and that and it would still be six minutes and it would still stink of smoke and you, would, you have to expect it to smell fresh, the bathroom to be clean. The bathroom was a fucking pain in the ass to do as well. And I remember one point I had an inspection from the head housekeeper she used to keep saying it was a five-star hotel. That's bullshit. It was four stars. She kept ragging on about it was five-star hotel. And at one point, it came to breaking point where I said, you know what, fuck this. And I just went over in the morning and when I was meant to start a seven o'clock shift. Or whatever, I think it was eight or nine or whatever. And really, I was just like, fuck this. I can't be arsed. Handed my name badge, signed my resignation, and I went day drinking. <laughs> day drinking at that point. So Proper mic drop that. I know. It was fun. Wow. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Elliot. And again, thank you for making this podcast possible with your, you know, brilliant production skills. But I know you're going to play us out with your new song. But firstly, I just want to mm-hmm. ask, do you have any tips for anyone who wants to work in sound design or, you know, production or, or write music or just just in general? Do you have any tips for anyone? Well, this probably goes out to people that kind of, you know, want to dabble into sound design really the equipment's going to be expensive to begin with because, you know, I've got a microphone here, for example, and I've got a laptop and speakers, and I didn't earn that all at once. I had to save up a lot of money to buy all this equipment. So if you truly want to invest to work in sound design, I'd say kind of save up some money, like, you know, put money aside every month or whatever to save up on some good equipment. You could even start off with some rubbish equipment. You could even start off with Audacity, right? And loads of people, like, just to tell you, Audacity is just like a free-to-use kind of, like, digital audio workstation that anybody can use. You can even do stuff from that. It's kind of a case of keep on making stuff because it's like a painter or, you know, somebody that does drama. The more you perfect your craft, the better. So Mm. just keep doing... Even if it's just a case of writing a random song or just recording outdoor noise or whatever keep doing it because you'll get better at it and you'll enjoy it more so just keep creating shit (laughs) i just realized that we forgot and we'd be better talk about now your lyrics right yeah the (laughs) lyrics just just to point out here i'm not like i was terrible at english at school i didn't enjoy it um I'm not much of a lyricist. I'm more of a person. Like, I could write a guitar piece, a drum piece, and all that in under five minutes. Lyrics, not so much. I'm not that really good at lyrics. It kind of takes me longer to create lyrics. Um, So, yeah, it's just a case of it takes me forever. Like, I have to, it even comes to a point where I have to use a rhyming dictionary (laughs) to kind of make it sound good. I thought it would be nice for us to give a few examples. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, one of your first songs you, you did, I think you were 17, it's called Waste. Yes. I don't... Yeah. What, what is... It drives to waste, to waste, to... What, what's that song about then? I have no fucking clue. <laughs> that's that's one thing about my music. When you go ahead in my SoundCloud and listen to my music and you're like, what do these lyrics so I've, mean? I've got your SoundCloud up in front of us now and I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go through something. I just want to... I want to know the... You yeah, know. it's... It, Lyrics-wise, they don't mean shit. <laughs> but I like to interpret as creating these lyrics kind of lets other people, you know you know, relate to an experience of themselves rather than, because to be honest with you, I don't write about my own personal experiences because I'm boring as shit. So, yeah. yeah. One of the songs here as well, which was one of our double ones together, is called Want You By My Side, which 
which I wrote the lyrics for. You so wrote the lyrics for I that. shouldn't even slag you up because the, the, we'll play this as an interlude as well. Yeah, <laughs> so, we'll, we'll do this. <laughs> some of the lyrics in this song. Yeah, that Jesus. was fun. And I turn Staring at the ceiling I wonder if you've heard Exactly how I'm feeling Pull the covers up, it's freezing You're wedging my mind You're wedging there real tight Where you looked at me and my bad night I want you by my side I want you by my side Will you look to me It's my bad night I want you by um, my side What about Book of Fear? What was that Book about? of Fears Book of Fears, yeah uh, What prob- is the Book of Fears then? Well, actually, no Actually, looking back on it See, when I write lyrics I just go blah, blah, blah And just spurt it out mm. but when you look back on it you can kind of figure out why I wrote it and when I look back into it it's kind of like bullying in a way I got yeah. I did get you know you can testify to this to yourself and I think many people would do as well bullying's not a good thing when you're no, younger and it does affect you in later life so especially yeah. someone like yourself with your disability people were quite oh, I quite got, horrible I got about that the piss out of but yeah. to be honest I don't give a shit now. Like, when you get to our age in your mid-twenties, you don't give a fuck about the people who bullied you. Do you know what I mean? You let me, And then, to be honest with you, some of them actually come back to you and they're like, oh, yeah, sorry that I was a dickhead to you at school. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, cheers, man. But, you know, it's no issue. You were, We were all fannies back then. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, you don't well, think about Elliot, it. Elliot, I think you'd proved a lot of them wrong with what you'd achieved exactly. so far but, and what you, what you do. Yeah. So, thank you again for coming on the podcast. And then you're going to play us out with... Your new song, yeah. which is called "Give Me a Sign," and you can hint why there's a lot of Melody Gardo and Amy Winehouse symphony. Oh, I, I love this song. You wrote it during the lockdown, and it it yeah, was one of the. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's a, it's a, so I'll let you take it away. Cheers, man. Give 
When the time is up, we lose control. And I keep moving on, gonna take it slow. There's no point in dwelling with things untold. Cause there is no turning back. Dream a coffee cup in the morning sun. Shouting out for grace, am I the only one? Is there anyone that can send me free? From the point of no return I'm calling out your name Give me her About the memories will give me her side. Give me her side. Oh, mate, thank you. Really enjoyed Cheers. that. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I, I really enjoyed getting to finally record a podcast face-to-face. It's, it, you get a different energy doing it that way. I, I do enjoy the remote ones, of course. Anyhow, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. This is the fourth episode now, so we're starting to get a bit of steam. Um, yeah, please, again, if you're enjoying it, give us a like on social media, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends to listen share it all that stuff we're really trying to keep growing this so I, I, we can't do it alone so thank you very much for your help and support and I'll be back again next week for another episode of Just Get A Real Job stay safe folks Just get a real job